Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology and My guest today is the one and only Dr. Kara Powell. Uh, Kara leads the Fuller Youth Institute. She has a PhD from Fuller Seminary, an undergrad degree in child and youth development at Stanford University. She has written or co-written uh, several books. The most recent book is Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. She's also the author of Growing With, Growing Young, Sticky Faith Guide for Your Family, and many other incredibly helpful resources. Kara is kind of the one of, if not the leading Christian leaders when it comes to understanding younger people, in particular Gen Z. So please welcome to the show for the first time, the one and only Dr. Kara Powell. What's your uh, moniker that people describe you as? Are you like the just like youth culture expert or uh, I know you probably don't use that term for yourself. Well, I'd probably just go with Kara, actually. So <laughs> we can just go with that, Preston. That's, that would be my first choice. So. Struggling Christian, <laughs> trying to keep it together. Um, well, I, I wanted to have you on, I mean, for various reasons. For for one, I've got four Gen Z kids. You know, we talked yeah. offline, um, 19, 17, 15, 13. And, um, I, you know, I, I do work with youth to some extent. Yeah. I just have a huge, huge heart for the next generation. And I understand kind of older people. Sometimes they're a little frustrated at Gen Z, you know, Oh, they're so entitled and they want to be famous by 21 and all this. What are the YouTube? Like, what are they doing? You know? And, but I love how you, um, I think you acknowledge the challenges obviously, but you have a very positive, like, man, let's harness the energy and passion from this next generation. So uh, let me let me lead with this question. How would you describe Gen Z, maybe against the backdrop of millennials, like some yeah. similarities, maybe some differences? Like if someone said, what is Gen Z? Like what what is that as a group of people? What's your kind of two minute overview of that group of people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, fantastic question, Preston. And I'm also quite busy with uh, teenagers and young adults in our home. Dave and I, we have three, two college students who are 21 and 19, and then a 16-year-old. So I'm awesome. very much living the life of young people. <laughs> um, first, I would say let's start by defining Gen Z. Um, and we roughly define it at the Fuller Youth Institute as those born after 2000, you know, plus or minus a few years. Okay. So it, it's really today's teenagers, whereas millennials are generally those who are somewhere between 20 and 40. And, and you're right that there are some similarities between millennials and Gen Z. Uh, we spent a lot of time recently trying to distill, if we could describe Gen Z in just a few adjectives, what would it be? Um, and so we came up with three adjectives, one of which I think is in common with millennials, but two are somewhat unique okay. for Gen Z. So I'll tell you the three adjectives. First, the one that's common uh, with Gen Z and those who are older than uh, 2021, 22 are this is an adaptive generation. Yeah. I mean, this is a creative resilient, entrepreneurial, I want to change the world. I want to be involved in uh, God's justice work. I want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. So we love, first of all, how adaptive and purposeful both teenagers and 20-somethings and even 30-somethings are. Uh, here, let me talk about the two adjectives that I do think have a unique manifestation with Gen Z. Um, first, and this just breaks my heart, they are an anxious generation. Yeah. When you look at what's happening with mental health, I mean, it's affecting all generations, to be sure. 
But our young people are walking around really struggling with anxiety, depression, stress, even suicidal ideation. So I would say this is an anxious group or cohort of teenagers. It was that way even before the pandemic and the pandemic. I mean, according to the CDC overall for generations, anxiety has tripled and depression has quadrupled wow. during the pandemic. So um, so this is an anxious generation and then I would say another adjective that's unique about this generation, this is a diverse generation. Hmm. I mean, this is arguably the most diverse generation we've ever had in the U.S. I mean, if you just look at racial and ethnic diversity, in 2020, in the midst of everything that happened in 2020, we crossed an important line, according to U.S. Census data. And now those under 18 are, are half of young people of color and hmm. half young people who are white. So if we look at the country as a whole, half of those under 18 are wonderful young people of color and half are wonderful young wow. people who are white. Um, and so I think that's something to really celebrate. I, I celebrate that as a person who's sure. white, just the amazing diversity in our country. So anxious, yeah. adaptive, diverse, those are the three adjectives, two of which are unique for this gen. With the uh, with half being of color, are a lot of them too like from mixed ethnic parents? Is that, a, yeah, is that a, a, probably a high percentage? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I don't have the data right at my fingers, but yeah. um, multicultural, biracial young people are on the rise. Okay. And, and, and that's one of my favorite conversations to have with young people when I feel like I've, I get to know them well enough, where if they do have all sorts of ancestries and cultures coming together, I, you know, I love to ask them, well, do you feel more black or do you feel more white? And, yeah. and hear them unpack that uh, is, is a really wonderful way I've found to connect with young people and understand their identity. So, yeah. yes, we're, we're seeing more and more uh, increasingly diverse, increasingly multiracial kids today. Let me so I, this is going to, I guess, go deep really quick. But like, you know, obviously since 2020, I mean, it should have been since, you know, 1920, but 2020 brought out a lot of racial kind of questions. And the church is very divided over things like, you yeah. know, you start talking about race and you get accused of being a Marxist and CRT this and nobody yeah. knows what they're talking about. And you have news outlets tugging at our emotions and stuff. And are young people, um, are Gen Z, I mean, extra sensitive and eager to have more and maybe better conversations about race? Like, a, I'm, I'm asking the question, like a, a church that says, oh, yeah, we don't want to, we're not going to touch that. Are they losing younger people when they don't really discuss questions of race? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, if you look at what's happening with young people, uh, I think they often don't see the church as relevant or kind are the two adjectives I like to use. Um, and part of why they don't see the church as relevant is because it's not as ethnically diverse as the community they live in. Hmm. And, and by the way, I think that's a pretty good criteria to ask ourselves as yeah. those of us who are leaders, like, is our faith community, is our church as ethnically diverse as the community in which I, we live? And if not, then what do we want to do about it? So yeah, I would say uh, pursuing racial justice, it, it's not just an expectation for most young people today. It's a its a mandate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. They, yeah. they want to be part, they demand to be part of communities that are pursuing that. And, and I think that's really a wonderful thing because I think racial reconciliation is part of what it means to be a growing follower of Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, Preston, I was listening to a podcast a couple of days ago, and, and if I mentioned the podcast, you would know it and probably even know the pastor. 
Um, and he was saying, well, you know, at our church, we're talking about uh, race quite a bit because young people demand it. And on the one hand, <laughs> I think, great. But on the other hand, yeah. that's actually not the number one reason. Right. And I know, given your love for scripture, that that's not the yeah. number one reason. <laughs> I want churches to be mindful and thoughtful and proactive in seeking racial yeah. justice. It's because just as God reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ, God reconciles us to each other. And right. that includes a, a cross race. Right. One of the right. best witnesses we in the church can show the world is when we are building relationships with people who are different than us. And right. so so I would say fundamentally starts with theology. The good news for those of us who I want to be extra mindful of younger folks is it also aligns with the heart cry of young people. So oh, man. I yeah, 100 100% in agreement yeah. with that and I you know um yeah, it took me a while to get there, but but it, it, it once you kind of open your eyes to scripture and 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 what themes are specifically talking about you know, ethnic tensions, ethnic reconciliation. It's just a huge thread woven throughout the biblical storyline. Like this is not, I just recorded a podcast raising the question, is ethnic reconciliation, you know, I think I even said like part of the gospel just to be, you know, provocative, but I kind of yeah. answer, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when Peter was separating himself from Gentiles and, and recreating these divisions, Paul said, you are not walking according to the truth of the gospel yeah. because you're erecting barriers of ethnic reconciliation. I mean, that, that's that, but that statistic too is fascinating. The 50%, because this is no longer just kind of some issue kids are interested in out there or, Hey, I have a couple friends that are of color. Like, we're now speaking to a very, very ethnically diverse group. Um, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I love the scripture verse that you just pointed us to. You know, I can even go, go more fundamentally to the two greatest commands, right? Love God. And then secondly, love our neighbors as ourselves. And, right. you know, for me to love my neighbor means building a relationship with people who are different than me. And sometimes right. it takes more time and sometimes it can be awkward and there can be misunderstandings. But I, I think that in the midst of how polarized our world is, mm -hmm. uh, it, it breaks my heart that churches are often as polarized, if not more polarized yeah. Yeah. than the world around us. But if we could be bright spots of people who are building relationship across gender, across race, mm -hmm. across generation, I, I think I've seen with churches that that's really magnetic for all generations, but especially young people. You, you, so yeah, I mean, churches have become so divided over the last couple of years. I mean, oh my word, it's been, it's been a nightmare. How has that affected youth and youth ministry? Um, cause in my experience, it's typically not the youth leaders and yeah. youth that are the ones participating in this kind of taking sides necessarily. And that might be too absolute of a statement, but it's more the, the church as a whole that is, I, how how has that affected youth? Has it really turned them off to church as a whole? I mean, or yeah, I, I'm glad you raised that question. And I, I always try to make sure a clear press Preston when I have data for answers and when I don't. I do not have data okay. for how young yeah. people are specifically responding to some of the divisions, say since the 2020 election. But I'll just say anecdotally, I, I actually feel like it, it's maybe. Um, this is probably biased by the people I spend time with. It's creating a lot of tensions for parents who are struggling to connect with their church that they feel like has either swung more conservative or swung more progressive, mm -hmm. and they're trying to do what's best for their kids. Mm -hmm. And so I, to your point, a lot of times youth ministries are somewhat protected 
from the division and conflict among adults. And so it's leaving a lot of parents scratching their heads, you know, mm-hmm. and, and trying to prioritize, which I affirm, like, what what is the best faith community for my kid in this right. season? And I would say to every parent, like, prioritize your, your kid's faith formation. Yeah. You know, we as parents, we can grow in other ways. We can we yeah. can listen to great sermons online. We can experience worship. We can be in small groups with other believers, you know, across churches, et cetera. Um, I, I recommend to parents, put, put your own church preferences in the back seat mm. and put what's best for your kids' faith formation in the front seat. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. until they at least graduate from high school. So, so I'm hearing quite a bit of parents filled with angst and, and yeah. trying to prayerfully discern what is best for my kid in this season. And I want to support that. We, that's, that's affirming for me, I guess. Cause I, we've, I don't know, parenting, just trying to be a Christian and then trying to be a parent and then also trying to disciple your kids, let alone yeah. just keep them alive. Like these are yeah. impossible <laughs> tasks in, in, in our experience. And, and maybe it's my kids, but maybe it's not, I don't know, like. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this publicly, but. <laughs> but you kind of are. <laughs> it, might, it might be offensive, you know. <laughs> you know I, I, like there's been times when our, our kids can just sit through a church service and just be so bored, just bored. Yeah. Like, is this what Christianity is? I'm like, no, this is, it's more than this. It's like, well, but this is kind of the main thing. This, this church is all about just Sunday services. And if I'm bored with this, then what else? Like, well, there's small groups you can be a part of, you know, like. And I've had to literally, and I don't, I don't know how to say this. And I don't, you know, this is just my story. Maybe it's not everybody's, but I've had to. There's been times when, like, being in church or church environments is pushing my kids away from Jesus. Like when I come home, we talk about Jesus. They're excited. They want to engage. Have hard questions, and 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 then we when we go to like a church environment, it's almost like. They're like, oh, well, this is Christianity. I don't know if I'm interested anymore. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get them out of church. Otherwise they might lose their faith, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I would yeah. never name a church, whatever. And I think well-intended, amazing people, godly people. There's loads of people that love that, you know? So it's not, this is very much a, a very subjective kind of thing, but um, yeah. that's a weird tension when, when it's yeah. like, should I go to church this Sunday or go to this church or try this at the risk of hindering my kid's faith? Is that? Yeah, yeah. Is that, I mean, are, are kids bored with church or, I mean, yeah, that, that's yeah. always, I mean, kids are always going to be bored of church, right? Or, or is that, or, or no, is that, is that an excuse that we've told ourselves for all these years? Well, a lot of thoughts come to mind, Preston. <laughs> Thank you so much for your authenticity. These are certainly questions that Dave, my husband, and I wrestled with too. Uh, you know, I think it's, I, my first thought is church isn't about Sunday worship. It's about relationships. So for me, that is the primary goal as a parent. I'll speak autobiographically. For me, the primary goal in in connecting with the church with my kids is how are they developing relationships, especially with adults, but also with peers that are going to model and stimulate their relationship with Jesus. Um, And I think sometimes we as parents, we have to be proactive about that. So our 16-year-old is going to summer camp in a couple weeks, and I reached out to our youth pastor and said, hey, I, I, th- I think our daughter's at a really important point uh, in her journey with Jesus. And so can you tell me who her camp counselor might be? Yeah. And our youth pastor was wonderfully open. He said, here are a couple options. And I said, either any of those are great, wonderful. And I you know, hung up the phone. And it was my way as a parent of just being a little proactive okay. in, about the relationships for Jessica, uh, our 16-year-old. And part of why Dave and I felt like we needed to do that is because 
for a lot of kids, including our youngest, uh, the pandemic has been harder to build adult sure. relationships. Um, you know, you, she's been a part of a small group by Zoom and, and all that, but it just is not the same as meeting in our back patio, which is where her small group was meeting before they meet, we're meeting in our house yeah. and, you know, being on the trampoline together and, and having brownies together and all that zoom just isn't quite the same, especially for teenagers. Mm. So, so we're actually feeling in our family, like we need to be even more proactive with adult relationships for Jessica because of what she lost during yeah. the pandemic. So, so I would say, you know, first of all, church isn't about an entertaining Sunday service. It's about relationships. The second thing I would say is what comes to mind is uh, founder of Young Life, Jim Rayburn, said it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. <laughs> um, now, you know, that was perhaps hyperbolic, but I do think it's an interesting question for churches like, how engaged are 13 year olds in our worship service and what can we change for them to be more engaged? And my hunch is if we were creating worship services that were engaging for 13 year olds, 43 year olds and 63 year olds would also be more engaged. <laughs> so, um, so, so I, I do think, you know, young people can be a bit of a canary in the coal mine uh, for us yeah. to ask ourselves like, how vital are our community worship experiences? How can we involve all generations in planning, right. in the actual worship, et cetera? So, so those are just a couple of thoughts. Let's focus on relationships. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, if 13 year olds are struggling, well, then, you know, let's not use, well, this is church. They're going to be bored as an excuse to be sloppy or lazy in our right. own creativity and innovation. Right. No, that's good. You, you use a phrase. I want to highlight it building relationships with older people, especially, and also peers. I think yeah. the intuitive um, assumption yeah. is it's the opposite. They need peer, 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 peer. And hey, it'd be cool if an adult kind of poured into them, but that's not the priority. You're, are you saying that the priority is adult relationships with our kids? I would say that based on our research, both are important. You know, it's like, do I need my left hand or my right hand more? I need both hands. So right. <laughs> both are important. But um, when we look at the data we've done, including our sticky faith study, right, where that. we looked at 13 different youth group participation variables and looked at how that was correlated with mature faith in high school and college. Um, you know, you and listeners will be glad to know studying scripture was correlated with mature faith, serving and being involved in justice work correlated with mature faith. But of everything that we looked at, what was most correlated with mature faith was intergenerational worship wow. and relationships. Yeah. And I think as we've professionalized youth ministry, we've ended up segregating, and that's not a verb I use lightly, segregating hmm. young people from the rest of the church. And so no wonder they graduate and they know their youth pastor, but they don't know the overall church. They know youth group on Sunday mornings, but they don't know overall church worship. Hmm. And so that's one of our consistent messages out of, gosh, the last 12 years of research, Preston, is hmm. how do we bring all the generations together more? Now, there are certainly times where, you know, I want my 16-year-old to to be with other 16-year-olds talking about life stage issues for sure. But uh, one of my life mantras is that balance is something we swing through on our way to the other extreme. <laughs> and I think in our well-intentioned efforts to offer relevant programming for teenagers, we've siloized them. And what's what I love, mm. another theme in our research, Preston, is while a lot of our research has basically been geared to look at how does the church change young people, 
we've seen as we study how churches change young people, how young people change churches. Right. So right. it's really all generations who benefit. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm biased here, but I can't think of a more uh, of a better way to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus than to hang out with a 17 year old who has a vibrant relationship yeah. with Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so all generations benefit when we bring all generations together. Mm, that's so good that, that, that I can, again, anecdotally, I can think of a, a small handful of, of adults that have, even when we have them over, like they ask our kid questions and, and yes. if our kid falls in a teenage mode, like one short answer, they'll keep at that. They're not going to let that. They're like, they're really interested in my kids. They know their names. They know their birthdays, yeah. but that's, yeah. rare. that's rare. Like we've, we've, we've been to lots of churches, right? And there's been times we'll, we'll maybe be at a church for six months or a year. And if our kid doesn't show up, no, not a, a no adult would even notice, like don't yeah. take any interest. And it's like, I, you know, I don't want to force it. Like if you're not, right. if you don't notice my, if my kid's invisible to you, then whatever, yeah. I'm not, I don't like yeah. force you to like, like my kid or even take yeah. an interest in them. But like, yeah. that's just not, that doesn't come natural. Does it? The yeah. majority yeah. of Christian adults aren't going to, and I myself, that get her. Like I've, I've been dieting myself. There's loads of other people's kids that come by and I'm like, I don't, I, I got four of my own. I'm trying to figure out. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you almost have a basketball team at home, just, uh, <laughs> so I get it. Well, and you know, my, my recommendation, and again, Dave and I did this, uh, you know, six or eight weeks ago with our, it, the good news is we don't have to keep adult relationships, a secret from our kids. Hmm. We can talk with our kids and hear from them what adults they want to get to know. And so sure enough, uh, you know, when school ended, uh, six, eight weeks ago, Dave and I sat down with Jessica and said, you know, largely because of the pandemic, you, you just don't quite have the adult relationships that, you know, we want you to have. And so what adults would you like to get to know a little bit better? Hmm. And she rattled off a few. And, and so, um, she doesn't know this, but I reached out. I feel comfortable saying this on this podcast. I reached out to one of them and said, Hey, Jessica mentioned that you're an adult. She'd really like to get to know better. Would you be open to connecting with her sometime? And so sure enough, that wonderful person at church reached out to Jessica and took her and another friend out for Boba. And, um, and they're, you know, mm. kind of slowly step-by-step building a relationship with each other. So, so, you know, I think we as parents, step-parents, guardians, grandparents, aunts, uncles, you know, we can ask teenagers, who are some adults you'd like to get to know yeah. better? And then we can, you know, kind of proactively and maybe secretly, uh, try to stimulate some of those relationships. And I tell yeah. you, when my kids were younger, I'd ask those questions. And then those were our babysitters, like the adults they wanted to get to know better when Dave and I <laughs> needed to go out. Like that's who we'd invite over yeah. to take care of our kids. So, yeah. so, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's ways to, to, to turn the dial a little bit as, yeah. as parents and step parents to help our kids have those relationships. Here's, here's some, I don't know, like an illustration for your research. As you're talking, it made me think like the church we're currently at my all my kids maybe for the first time really they're like we all really like our church awesome and it's largely because the pastors talk to my kids like the, the, the lead pastor who's like I, he's like 40 i mean young cool guys great personality you know he will come off stage. It's, it's not a, it's not a huge church, maybe, yeah. uh, maybe 2000 or something, uh, which isn't, it's, it's big for Idaho, but it's not like for Texas, it's like a house church or something, you know? <laughs> so, but he's got a lot of people, you know, but he will single out one of my kids and genuinely 
Not yeah. like, hey, I know I'm supposed to ask this kid, you know, but like, hey, so did you see the last, the latest episode of uh, Stranger Things or something? They start getting yeah. into it. And my kids will say, oh, I, I want to be a ch- I want to be in church service today or I want to stay, yeah. you know, and and all I can think of like three or four pastors that uh, that they 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 genuinely notice and take an inch. And they actually do like like I think they genuinely like my kids, yeah. I think. I mean, maybe they're listening and saying, no, I'm just doing ministry. You know? But like, yeah. and, but that has been the probably the single thing when my kids yeah. talk about church that comes up yeah. number one. Oh, I like that church, you know, because so-and-so he's normally talks to me, you know, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Kids will, kids will put up with mediocre programming. Yeah. Kids will even put up with some theological issues with which they disagree. You know, a very common dynamic is that kids are more progressive than parents. Right. And so, you know, that that church that families have grown up with uh, can feel conservative when that kid hits 13, 15, 17. But, you know, I've seen kids even put up with that if there are relationships that are that glue. So, you know, I would say relationships triumph over anything else. And, you know, in our growing young research where we actually looked at churches that were doing amazing work with teenagers and young adults, one senior pastor said, uh, for young people today, warm is the new cool. Huh. Warm is the new cool. And yeah. um, by the way, my my kids say that even just the way I say cool betrays that I am not cool. <laughs> um, so, so somewhere my my three kids are all kind of rolling their eyes and they don't know why. Um, but just I because get that the all way the time. That I, yeah, exactly, exactly, that I said that. But for young people, like we just see this time and time again in our research, it's not about a cool facility. It's not about, you know, the best worship slides. It's not about Mm. the best programming. It's about relationships. And, you know, whether it's a a 72 year old who makes them feel at home, a senior pastor, a small group leader, whoever it might be, it's relationships that are the glue. My, my, again, this is just anecdotal. My, my kids are, you know, I guess unique, I guess all kids are unique, unique, but if you hung out with my kids, you know what I mean? Like they they would, they would be like skeptical if something was too polished. Like if they came in and everything is too polished, they'd be like, "Mm, what are you hiding? Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's part of the disconnect. Like there's, I was just visiting a church in another city this weekend and the worship service, it felt like eighties youth ministry, like (laughs) a smoke machine, smog machine, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And I just thought this is working with these people, but it's, that's not the majority. Um, usually young people want something that feels more like being in a living room Mm -hmm. than being in a theater. And so how do we get away from performance? I think that's an interesting question. Does our church feel more like a theater or more like a living room or a family room? And how do we, how do we move more toward family room? That's great. Yeah, that's so good. And what, what, uh, so I feel like our kids, does just this generation have more and deeper and, and more difficult questions or is that true of every generation? Cause like my kid, like um, my kids have so many deep questions and like, I know they're, they would be incredibly turned off if they didn't have space to ask questions, but is that always, has that always been there? Is it more with this, this generation? Well, I, I, it's hard for me to compare. I don't know of any research that per se that compares that, but if I wanted to make the argument that this generation has even more or deeper questions, I will say they're exposed to so much. I mean, thanks right. to the technology they sure. carry around with them. You know, my kids know so much of what's happening in the world. Um, which I would say, again, gives us an amazing opportunity as parents and mentors to go deep with kids. You know, in the midst of summer 2020, after George Floyd's 
murder. And all three of our kids were home. It was the pandemic. Our son even came home from college. Our two daughters were doing online school, et cetera. And so we had way more time with them than normal, which was really wonderful, actually. Mm. But most nights at dinner for, you know, the, Mm. the month or two after George Floyd's murder, I would start the conversation or Dave, my husband would start mm. the conversation by saying, so what'd you guys see on social media today about race? And boom, like that, that just opened yeah. all sorts of questions and comments. And I love that. It sounds like Preston. And from what I know about you, this would totally be the case that you want to have that kind of yes. dialogue with your kids. Uh, one of the the biggest, I would say surprises out of our sticky faith research is that, you know, we often assume like doubts or tough questions are bad and it's a sign that, you know, faith is is disintegrating or deconstructing, yeah. et cetera. What we found is that when young people have the opportunity to express their doubts with someone, that's actually correlated yes. with greater faith maturity. So it's not doubt or tough questions that erodes faith. It's silence that erodes faith. And so, um, you know, I think for adults as we're interacting with kids, whether it's somebody in our family or whether it's a neighbor or someone at our church, you know, for us to say periodically, some of the questions I like to ask my kids are, you know, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? Um, and they often have some really great questions. Uh, Another thing that I like to ask, and this is, this is scarier, Um, but I want to make things discussable is to say to my kids, and we often do this, like if we're driving or I'm taking them out for coffee, one-on-one, whatever it might be, what do you no longer believe that you think I still believe? And what do you now believe that you think I don't believe? That's so good. (laughs) And, you know, I kind of hold my breath when I ask these questions because I never know what my kids are going to say. And sometimes they're like, oh, I think, you know, nothing's really changed since the last time we talked. And other times, you know, there are, there are multiple issues where they're shifting. And um, I actually got these, these questions from my friend and colleague, Steve Argue, who's just such a thoughtful parent. And what I love about the questions is they show that faith is changing, (laughs) that it's okay for our faith to change, which is, we have this odd view about faith. Like we want faith to grow, uh, but we don't (laughs) want it to change, which doesn't make sense, (laughs) right? And so- That's what grow means. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, faith is a noun, but it's also a verb. Hmm. And so as a verb, it's, it's ever unfolding and changing. And I want my kids to be able to uh, talk with me about those issues. And, you know, I will say a theme in my, in, in those answers with my kids over the last handful of years, it's generally cultural issues where they're more progressive than me and getting more and more progressive still. And, 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 you know, my goal as I follow up on those, you know, where they are, where they are thinking differently than me is not to convince them, but I try to use phrases like, well, I'm curious, Hmm. I find I'm curious as such a great sentence starter with young people. Um, You know, I'm curious, how does your belief on X relate to what you think scripture says or relate to this verse in scripture or relate to, you know, something else that's important Mm. to you? So Mm. like, I'm curious, my, my goal isn't to convince my kids, it's to understand and to have a good conversation and to keep them thinking. All of that, I I found that true hundred percent. I think we before we even go there to kind of facilitate 
honest questions. We need to have created an environment where they feel safe to even ask these questions, right? Because yeah. our kids yeah. are, you know, fear of speaking out loud, fear yeah. of looking stupid, fear of saying something in your question that might be wrong. Is this wrong yeah. for me to ask this question? It's like, so we need to yeah. cultivate a, a, a fertile environment, right? Where they feel safe asking any question, even if my, even if my answer, if they don't buy my answer. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that that's, I, I've, I've used this, I've, I've talked about my, uh, one of my daughters a few times on the podcast, but she's just very Enneagram five, just deep thinker, reads a ton and high, high BS meter, genuine faith, but high BS, you know, yeah. and every, every couple of weeks we'll meet for chips and salsa. And she has lists of some of the awesome. most profound theological questions. Awesome. Half of them I've never even heard of before. And that's, that's all, that's what I've done for the last 25 years is answer people's theological, you know, like, I'm like, how have I never heard this question? And, yeah. you know, sometimes I'll give an answer and she's like, oh, you know what? That totally makes sense. And other times I'll give an answer and she's like, I can see her, you know, she, she doesn't say anything. I'm like, you don't buy it, dude. She's like, no, no, not yet. I'm like, that's okay. That's totally okay. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not sure I buy it, but that's kind of like, <laughs> here's yeah. one response. That, and other times when I say, I don't know, I feel like her respect for me goes up. Now, if I said, I don't know about everything, she's like, well, what do you know? You know, like, but there's times right. like, you know what? I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to think about that. Is that cool? She's like, yeah, cool. You know? Um, yeah. I, I love, I, I think I don't know is so powerful. And, and I, sometimes uh, we recommend, I don't know, but, and the, but is, but like you just said, but yeah. can I think about it and get back to you? Or, but I know you're asking great questions about faith and science that I don't, I, I can't resolve, mm -hmm. but I know somebody else at our church. What if we have her over for dinner or, you know, I don't know, but here's what I have found to be true about God. Mm -hmm. So there's no way that we can explain everything about God, right. period. So let's, let's relieve ourselves of that expectation, folks. Like if we could explain everything about God, then God wouldn't be God. God would be just <laughs> kind of a cool guy, you know, a cool person. <laughs> so there's no way. And, and so, you know, let's have freedom to not have all the answers, but that to have that phrase, I don't know, but in our hip pocket, when young people start asking us tough questions mm -hmm. is a great kind of uh, conversation continuer Mm -hmm. um, that lets you take a next step and regroup a little bit, do some study, talk to others, reflect on your own faith, and then re-engage yeah. with your young person. You've kind of, I guess this kind of, maybe you've sort of answered it along, along the way here, but like are Gen Z, as they get out of the house, are they leaving the church at a higher rate? Since it's Gen Z, we don't know if they're coming back because we haven't got there yet. Yeah. They're not 30 yet, but yeah. are they leaving the church at a higher rate? And if, and whether the answer is yes or no, it doesn't really matter for the second question. The second question is why the ones that are leaving, why what are the main reasons why they're, they're leaving? Yeah, I would say, yes, they are leaving at a higher okay. rate. There's some data from previous generations that about 50% uh, return to the faith and to the faith community when they have kids. Um, mm -hmm. and, and hopefully that will happen. Part of the problem though, is that, <laughs> People are, are getting older when they're getting married and or having kids. And so if we think about it, those those ruts of life decisions are getting deeper and deeper uh, before that 28-year-old is having kids. And so we don't quite know if they'll return as they have in the past. 
Um, I think I mentioned this earlier, Preston, but as I was thinking about this very question recently, the words relevant and kind were the ones that I think summarize so much of what young people are disappointed with in the church. It's not relevant. They don't feel like they're talking about the issues that matter most to young people. Springtide Research Institute, a research center that I have great respect for, just did some data on this. And, you know, the the causes that young people care about, like the environment, like race, like immigrant rights, Mm -hmm. like gender equality, et cetera, they don't see the nearest church or their church prioritizing. Mm. Um, So that's where it can feel irrelevant. And, Mm. you know, for those issues, those aren't just, quote, issues, end quote, for young people. Those are people. Right, right. (laughs) It's very personal for them because they're real persons who they know are involved. And so it's not relevant. And then it's the church is not a kind or a loving place. Uh, Again, I'll quote Springtide's data. They um, did a study of 13 to 25 year olds a year into the pandemic here in the U.S. And only 10 percent of 13 to 25 year olds heard from an adult who's a faith leader during the first year of the pandemic. Only 10% of 13 to 25-year-olds heard from any leader, from any faith, not just Christian, but Jewish, uh, you know, Islamic, et cetera. Only 10%, only one out of 10. Like, that's appalling that in our country, 90%, at least of this sample, didn't hear from an adult in the faith community. And when they separated out and looked at, okay, which of those young people were actually in a faith community, how many of them heard from an adult, it was hardly any better. It was 13%. 13% of kids who were in a faith community heard from an adult who was a faith leader in the first year of the pandemic. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. I'm an optimist. So, you know, here's, here's the good news. In that same sample, 70% of those 13 to 25-year-olds now have a new openness for relationship. So, yeah, wow is right. So I I feel like we are in a divine window now to respond to kids who have been hurting over the last couple of years and where we can be that loving adult, Uh, whether, whether we're a family member, whether we're a neighbor, whether we're a church member, whether, you know, it's, it's that young person who we see at a coffee house regularly, you know, whatever it might be, like, just keep in mind, 70% of young people are more open to deep relationships. This, this is our time to build those relationships. Wow. And that doesn't cost me, that's free. I mean, to pull off a really polished service, that costs a lot of money, practice. You have to be a good yeah. speaker. And if you're not, you have to work at it. A young person's going to come to a service. Yeah. Like there's a lot of hurdles that keep a young person from even go, getting to, to a church building or church gathering, et cetera. But yeah, yeah we can we can go to young people at, at any time. And, you know, I will say some a tool that really helps me as a parent and as somebody who wants to mentor young people is some research we've done um, on three big questions that change every teenager, which is the title of our latest book. And as I think about that 70% who want deeper relationships, you know, young people are navigating questions of identity. Who Mm -hmm. am I? Mm -hmm. Questions of belonging. Where do I fit? And questions of purpose. What difference can I make? Mm -hmm. Identity, belonging, or purpose. And so whether it's my kid or a kid from our church, when I, look at their actions or or when I, when something they're doing doesn't quite make sense to me as an adult who wants to build a relationship, when I stop and ask myself, okay, wait, are they, are they on a quest for identity, a quest for belonging or a quest for purpose? Like usually 
what that teenager is doing or saying, you know, suddenly makes sense. Um, the way our 19 year old is, you know, so concerned about one of her friends. Oh, that's because she's searching for belonging. The way our 16 year old is asking questions already about college and college applications. Oh, that's because she's searching for purpose. So like as, as I've looked at young people, it helps me empathize so much more with them because I understand what is it that they're seeking. Well, I, I want to be sensitive to your time. I know you got a meeting in a few minutes. Uh, I did chum some questions on Twitter and a lot Great. came in. So let me um, jump in. I'm not going to be able to get to even nearly half of these. Is it true that Gen Z is turned off by the entertainment driven model of church youth ministry? I have found this to be the case wondering if uh, if you have seen the same thing. You kind of touched on that. The answer was yes, generally, right? Yeah. As a general rule, yes. Uh, okay. Realness and rawness is far more important than something that's polished and professional. Which is so much easier to do. Just Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Like the thought of like totally pulling off a, a, of, a, an attractive well, service that's so stressful to me. <laughs> yeah. It's easier sometimes. I mean, I, I think then the question yeah. becomes, okay, if realness is more important than how real are we willing to be and what, what level of realness mm. is appropriate for yeah. us to be? So, so it's certainly less logistical work, but it, it can be more emotional yeah, that's true. to be that real adult. Uh, what's yeah. the most significant topic in youth culture? I will say the two questions that we get asked, uh, the two areas that we get asked more than any by youth leaders and parents are mental health, um, as well as questions about gender identity and sexual preference and how to respond to kids who are asking questions or yeah. wondering or making statements related to their own sexuality and, right. uh, and or their gay or queer friends or, or their right. own questions about their um, who they are. So, yeah, I would say mental health and LGBTQ questions are the biggest ones we're yeah. hearing. I mean, I, I obviously I deal with sexuality and gender. It's a lane I live in. So my, it's, totally. it's kind of confirmation bias because wherever I go, that's the question. But I, yeah. it seems like that's at least top three, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. for us, it's top two. It okay. used to be technology. Technology was the big one like five, seven, eight years ago. Okay. And I would say technology's dropped to third. And mental health and gender and sexual identity um, okay. are one and two. Okay. There's some funny questions here. <laughs> this one's kind of fun. Uh, would you ask her how she gets the strength to put up with boomers from my generation? I'm struggling myself. <laughs> uh, well, okay. I mean, I will, I will say um, empathy is something I'm trying to grow in. I think good leadership starts with empathy, good parenting, good marriage, good, mm -hmm. ev good everything starts with empathy. And, and I, you know, what I said a few minutes ago about identity, belonging, and purpose, like even when I look at a 60-year-old and what they're doing, then it doesn't make sense to me or it seems off if I, if I ask, okay, but wait, how are they trying to find their identity? How are they trying to find a sense of belonging or find a sense of purpose? It at least makes sense to me and I can, I can respond. I, I, it's been said, and I struggle with this, but as long as we say about somebody else, how could they? We aren't really empathizing with oh, them. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. <gasps> that's oh, that's it's penetrating for me. But how could they live like that, vote like yeah. that, yeah. think like that? As long as we're asking how could they, we're not really empathizing. So yeah. like I said, it's a growth area for me. God's teaching me a lot there. Well, I you know, as a Gen Xer, you're a Gen X, right? Yeah. Yeah. I get millennials and I get Gen Z, but I also do get boomers too. You're like, yeah. you know, I was raised you know, single parent working three jobs. I had, a, you know, I was working almost full time since I was 14 and, 
you know, e- even now, like the, the heater went out on my, uh, 89 suburban that I drive. And, um, I went six months lighting candles on the dash to defog the windows in the winter time. And my kids asked me, and I've got a fuzzy dash cover or whatever. My kids yeah. are like, is this safe? I said, probably not, but I'll probably know. not. Yeah. I, I, I'm going so, no to say no. So when, so, so when, you know, when I'm trying to meet somebody for coffee and they're like, oh, well, it's kind of hot out. I'm like, well, you have a car. Well, yeah, but the air conditioning doesn't get that cold. I'm like, oh yeah. So I get the boomer yeah. kind of frustration of like, you just yeah. grind it out and you do yeah. it. You work. <laughs> but then I totally. also get like, you know, the preachy kind of yelling at people that like, here's a black and white. Blah, blah, blah. Like I get the kind of nuance and like sensitivity that Gen Z has too. So I don't know. I, I get, I, I don't know. I get kind of both worlds. So I, 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 I do empathize with boomers, you know, they were raising Which is a good sign. I mean, that's empathy when yeah. you notice and care. Um, and when you can understand why somebody would do something, I think that's a sign of empathy. So. Yeah. Yeah. You got to run Kara. Thank you so much, so much for what you do. My goodness. I could talk to you for hours. Um, I will, I will list all of your links and books in the show notes and I, I mentioned them in the introduction. So, uh, Great. yeah, I'm one of, yeah, if, if people have want more resources, I mean, there's a bottomless pit of resources at the youth, uh, the, the fuller youth Institute, which you can find online. So thank you, Kara. Appreciate well, you. Preston, thanks for a great conversation. And thanks for the important work you are doing and the tough questions you're willing to address. We yeah. need more people like you. So thank you for thank your leadership. Part of the Converge Podcast Network.